What's up? It's episode 64, pain points of wealth and markets are rebounding hard. As we're recording this, are we going into the proverbial Santa Claus rally, big melt up into the end of the year? We're going to give you our thoughts on that, along with the financial services industry loves to charge you fees, hidden fees, fees that they're showing you, fees all over the place. We're going to show you how Wall Street is taking advantage of you what you need to avoid those excess charges and make sure there's more money in your pocket for your financial independence plan. We've got a great show. Hit the music. Welcome to the Pain Points of Wealth, the podcast that addresses the pain points that come with creating, growing, and sustaining your wealth, giving you a multi-generational perspective from three pains in a pod. Bob Payne, the boomer, Chris Payne, the millennial, and Ryan Payne, the generation somewhere in between. Hey guys, you know, you had a little correction in the market. If you blinked, you missed it. You know, you look at the headlines. Oh, it's this new variant of coronavirus. It was the hawkish signals from the Federal Reserve. And then all of a sudden, we have weaker unemployment numbers. But truth be told, none of this stuff really matters. You know, let's take a look. What's happening with the uh, new variant? Are the hospitals overrun right now? No, it's the exact opposite, right? And we're actually seeing COVID cases come down worldwide. And it's normal, right? You know, if you have a virus, look at the flu. You have variants. It's not like we haven't seen this before. And like we said in the last episode, we've learned to live with the virus after two years. We've actually gotten very good at it. Well, Dad, your point about if you would have blinked and missed that correction in the market, well, our clients didn't. I can tell you that. And in talking with them, I got a lot of emails, calls, and texts saying, I'm about to panic. We haven't made any money this year. What are you going to do about it? Yeah, I know. Their portfolio is at an all-time record high, but they haven't made any money. So I'm not sure exactly what they're looking at. But it's amazing when you see how fast the markets can move and how it incorporates all the information that's out there. And you don't know if it's really reacting to the headlines because, hey, the media needs to sell airtime. So they make up headlines. So was it the Omicron variant and all the problems it's going to cause? I don't think so. I think what they were really reacting to was suddenly, now that Jerome Powell's got a new job, you know, he's been rehired. He's suddenly getting a little more hawkish, right? You talked about this last week, right? Why does Wall Street love animals? (laughs) It's something we can think about for many years to come. But I'd even argue against that. We kind of know that the Fed was going to get more hawkish, meaning they were going to stop the bomb buying quicker than initially anticipated. And we might see those interest rate hikes come quicker than we thought before. You know, sometimes it's just good old human emotion. I think people got a little bit jittery. On Black Friday, we had light trading volume and that started to push the markets down and then people start to panic. And it's just one of these, one thing leads to another and we get a bigger sell-off than we anticipated. But at the end of the day, the fundamentals, we talked about this last week, they haven't changed. I'm starting to see a trend here, guys. Every time there's an announcement about the coronavirus that's negative, the market goes down and then something else happens after that. Oh yeah, the market goes straight back up. Well, you know, sometimes you guys accuse me of being cynical when it comes to Wall Street. Is it possible since we had the biggest correction happen on Black Friday when nobody's around, markets are thinly traded, and you know the professional money managers who are way behind the market this year in terms of performance, is it possible they could have caused this short-term selling to shake out the weak holders so they could get in there and buy cheap? As we know, the market is smarter than you and I collectively, and the market will do everything in the short term to confound the majority, and it does that very successfully. Well, go figure, right? Dad was taking it easy having a turkey sandwich while you and I were hard at work at our desks on Friday. It's a story of our life, Chris, story of our life. But I mean, look, it's just common sense again. Look at the data right now. Unemployment's just dropping like a rock. We're down to 4.2%, which is, that's low unemployment 
in normal times, you know, never mind coming out of a pandemic. We've got over 10 million job openings right now as we're recording this. There's so many opportunities to work. Wages, again, came in hot for the month. So wages are going up and people have $1.7 trillion in savings right now. And all the while, if you look at earnings growth, even going to next year, companies again are going to be very profitable next year. Like these are the basic fundamentals of a great time to be invested. Well, this is the thing that's amazing, right? If you just keep your eyes open, you can see what's going on, right? You can see the economy's booming. You can see people are getting hired. Everybody knew the unemployment number was going to drop, except for the Federal Reserve. They'd been surprised all the time. Now, suddenly, and by the way, guys, you know, I know our viewership's through the roof. I think I know Jerome Powell watches this now because we've been telling him to drop the word transitory for what, six months? He finally did. <laughs> you were talking about the most obvious thing in the world. Well, okay, inflation's at 6%. We know it's not transitory, dude. <laughs> we're like stating the obvious that we're going to drop transitory from our lexicon now. Like, duh. So <laughs> we have the highest inflation in 30 years. Well, now everybody's watching the Fed for next week, right? On the 15th of December, they're going to meet again and they're going to announce most likely that they're going to double the speed of their taper. So instead of it now ending by next summer, it's probably going to be over by the end of the spring. So you'll start to see interest rates, at least on the short end, start to rise. I think that's what the Fed's signaling right now is that they're going to double the taper. They're going to accelerate that program. They're going to start to pull the punch bowl back a little bit. Not all the way, though. Well, it's an important thing is we're anticipating that now. So if it happens, it's not a surprise. So probably a lot of this is priced into the market. So anyone saying these pundits are going to say, I wonder what the Fed's going to do this week. We probably already know it's already priced in the market. Don't worry about it. Well, meanwhile, look at the ISM number came out at a great number, right? That's an expansion mode. The PMI number, right? The manufacturing index is over 60. Just don't forget anything above 50 is positive. 60 is amazingly strong. So you have unemployment dropping, the economy's booming. You had German industrial output jump by almost 3%. So there's a global expansion continuing. Don't let the media keep you on the sidelines. Get that cash to work. Well, you know, and all those great economic indicators sound great, Bob, you and me. And I know Chris gets very excited when he hears that ISM number. But for most of us, we don't care about any of that. You know, it's over 60, below 60, yada, yada, yada. But I think what you said earlier is really, really important here is a lot of this stuff is very, very obvious in the sense that I think about a year ago. I was in Manhattan. I was doing my YouTube channel. We were filming on the streets down in Soho, which is like where everyone does their shopping. And it looked like a ghost town. There were buildings were boarded up. You know, there was barely anybody in the city. This was one year ago. You go into Soho today and everything's jam packed. You know, every single store is wide open for business with lines out the door. So it's kind of like you don't need to hear all these economic indicators to realize that in a year's time, it's phenomenal what we've been able to do, how we've been able to deal with the virus and how life has just come back in a big, big way. Well, Chris, you know, I was up visiting your brother and your nephew last week. And of course, I had to wait for him to get out of the Louis Vuitton line and all those other designer shops he goes to every week. Well, we all know Ryan has expensive champagne taste. I shop at Marshall's. I know what you guys are talking about. My mom taught us about discounts when we were younger. But Chris, how many clients have we talked to, though, in the last couple of weeks? It's like, oh my goodness gracious, I think my account went down by 2%. It's like we've been in such a big, booming bull market that even a small decline kind of catches people's attention and all of a sudden they go from optimism to fear. I mean, look at the amount of people that are bullish right now. It's dropped pretty dramatically. Well, you know what, Dad? It's funny you mentioned that because I talked to a group of my clients this week and, you know, of course, they're all nervous and they're like, well, Chris, what are we going to do if the market pulls back? You know, what are we going to have another March? I said, well, we got through March, right? They said, yeah. I said, what did we do? They said, well, we took money out of bonds and we bought stocks. I was like, yeah. We're going to buy the market when it's cheap. Oh, that's a good idea. Well, well, look, I think what we have to look at here is we're going to the end of the year. 
you know, this is something that's been a theme on the show here is one thing we've said we do anticipate here is you're going to the strongest part seasonally. We have the, what we call the proverbial Santa Claus rally. Typically, those last two weeks of the year, markets tend to do really, really well. It just seems from where we're standing right now, everything looks like it's aligned to see that just happen. There's plenty of cash still on the sidelines, has to get into this market. So you heard it here first, but I wouldn't be surprised if we see that melt up we've been talking about into the end of the year. Hey, hope you're enjoying episode 64, Pain Points of Wealth. Our subscribership is going through the roof. Thank you for all your support. If you like our content, love our content, give us that five-star rating on iTunes. Leave us a comment. Let us know what you want us to speak about. And if you're watching us on YouTube, you can click that like button, click the subscribe button, and click that notification bell so you can be updated every week of new episodes of Pain Points of Wealth. Your support gives us the ability to continue doing these episodes every single week. So thank you. All right, Chris and Bob, it's the tipping point. We pinpoint the pain point, having the biggest impact on your wealth right now. And, you know, guys, at our firm, Pain Capital Management, we probably analyze over 50 portfolios a month, right? We probably do more volume than almost any other firm in the country. And the advantage of that is we get to see what all our competitors are doing. We know what everybody in the financial services firms around the country are offering for their clients, why they're offering them to their clients. And a lot of times, I know this sounds cynical. But Wall Street or financial services firms tend to recommend products and services that benefit them more than they benefit you. So I thought we could just talk about fees on Wall Street, what to be aware of, what's a good deal, bad deal, so you don't get taken over the coals by our industry, which is, doesn't have the best track record. Well, it does, it, guys. But you know what? The financial services industry is not a nonprofit organization, or are there nonprofit organizations within the industry? So everybody that you're working with in financial services is getting compensated, right? You want them to be compensated. You want them to stay interested. So the key is, are they working towards making the most money for you or the most money for themselves? And unfortunately, when you have a commission-generated portfolio where the advisor only gets compensated when they have to do a transaction, well, guess what? Every time they talk to you, they're going to do a transaction. That's exactly right. And I almost like, I delineate it between the old school and the new school, Right. Back when, Bob, you started in the business back in the 70s, it was all about commission business. It was like you know, bringing Wall Street to Main Street. I think that was the old term that they used. And everything was a transaction. But now, you, know, you have this different arrangement where you can actually charge a fee. And you can be a fiduciary where you have to act in the client's best interest, which has nothing is predicated on what you're recommending. Like You have to work in the best interest of the client. Well, I think that's the thing, Chris, a lot of people don't realize. There's a lot of internal costs that never show up on your statement. Well, I talked to a couple yesterday, a prospective client, and we actually talked about that exact thing. They sent me a bunch of their statements, actually about 20 in total. So it was quite a bit of work to go through them all. And I went through them step by step. While they weren't paying an advisory fee, they were paying close to 1.5% just in the internal costs on the funds that they owned. And I showed them our strategy where we use low-cost index funds, we charge a low fee as an advisor, they get advice, and they get a great portfolio. And they get a fiduciary who has to act in your best interest. Yeah. And that's the other thing that we don't realize, right? There's hidden fees typically in your portfolio that you don't see. So even if you have an advisor says, we're charging a 1% or half a percent, that's usually half the story. What you need to find out is what are those internal costs above and beyond that? And typically when you see less fees, there's probably more fees. It's like when you see that iceberg in the middle of the water, right? That little bit that you see at the top typically means underneath it's not so pretty. You know, there's much larger things happening. Well, you guys know that I have a lot of things that I don't like about the financial services industry. And there's a one thing that's really driving me crazy right now, and it's annuities. They talk about you get all the upside, none of the downside, 
And then they had people giving testimonials saying, well, there's no fees that I've ever been charged. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah, exactly. But, you know, there's no fees, but you can't get out of this unless you want to pay 10%. And anytime the market goes up 10%, we take 5%. But you're right, there's no fees at all. There's no fees whatsoever. And that's probably the most dangerous words. We don't charge any fees. Yeah, right. You're not a philanthropic organization. Well, Ryan, your point about annuities, you know, another thing that gets charged in annuity is a thing called a rider, an extra feature. And the way I look at riders is a lot like I look like a parasite on an animal. All they do is bring down the performance of the portfolio and take money out of your pocket. No, that's exactly right. And these riders, right, they sound like they're giving you extra protection and you're getting all these bells and whistles. And when you break it down a lot of times, you're really not getting a lot more in terms of benefits. The insurance company is just going to make more money. In fact, I worked on a case two weeks ago and the client was paying like four and a half percent a year in fees when he counted all those riders. Now think about that. A balanced portfolio historically does something like 6% a year over time. You're paying 4% in fees. You're down to a 2% return on your money. You're probably better off in CDs long term. It's crazy. And I bet you they didn't even know those fees and costs were internal and had no way to look them up, did they, Right. It took us 20 calls to the insurance company to actually figure out what the fees actually were. Literally, we had to do numerous calls. You, we couldn't just get that information straight away. You had to work these reps over to get the information that you actually needed because they don't even understand the products. They're so complicated. Well, I tell you, that's the biggest problem I have with a big booming bull market. You look at your portfolio and say, well, what do I care what I'm paying? I'm making money. Well, it makes a big difference. We worked with a client not too long ago where they had a 17% return net net in part of their portfolio. Well, the underlying index did 22%. They were missing out on 5% a year. 5% a year compounded over your lifetime. That's huge money. That is huge money. And I just worked with a client the other day too that pitched a structured product or structured note Brokerage firms love to sell these things. You get all the upside of the market, but none of the downside, which that sounds like an awesome deal to me, guys. You know, what was I missing? Now you're missing the internal commission that's paid out. You miss the fact that uh, you don't get any dividends. You miss the fact that the limited upside. That's what happens when you have financial products. What they're doing is hedging the hedge. In other words, the only way to really hedge a portfolio is to diversify with stocks, bonds, and commodities. Whenever you put in a special product, what you're doing is limiting the effect that that part of the portfolio can have. So you're actually causing yourself to underperform. It's a self-inflicted wound. That's a great point because that's the one caveat you typically have with a lot of these products is you get the upside of the market, but you don't get the dividends. And if anyone knows anything about investing, dividends are basically why you're invested. It's the magic to investing. In fact, if you look at the S&P 500 over like, I don't know, it's a 90-year period, almost 50% of your return comes from dividends, not capital appreciation. And these insurance companies are stripping that out of your investment, the most important part. And the other thing is, if you're not diversified, you don't have any opportunity to buy low. Not everything should be going up or down at the same time in your portfolio. So if you have this excess cash flow called dividends and interest, which is in some cases half of what our portfolio generates, you want to be able to reinvest it into something that's low at the time, right? There's opportunities in your portfolio every day the market will scream at you what they are. Now, they usually scream at you, Chris. They say, Chris, this part of the portfolio is doing horrible. What should we do? Well, you know, Dad, I always make the same comment. I said, I'm really glad that you said that. I said, because I really think we should buy more of it. I said, you're getting upset about it. Tells me that's the right thing to do. I'll tell you what, there's nothing better than your own gut to tell you we're the best opportunities in the market. Whatever you don't like in your portfolio, buy now. Bob, Chris, and I now have a collective 75 years helping individuals just like you with your planning and investing. This is literally what we do every single day. 
Everything you hear on this podcast, along with some due diligence of your own, can help you get ahead financially literally at any stage of your journey. But if you want a more hands-on approach, you want to get a full assessment of your portfolio now, your financial independence plan, if you have over $750,000 saved, Bob, Chris, and I will run our famous Total Financial Master Plan. We'll do that with no obligation or cost. It's a full holistic review where we literally look at everything. We'll go through every investment you own, look at the hidden fees you're paying, show you how to reduce those costs, show you where the tax inefficiencies are in your portfolio, show you how to optimize your portfolio for taxes, put together a full savings and income plan so you're on track for your financial independence. Simply go to www.paincm.com slash financial plan to see if you qualify for a free financial review. That's www.paincm.com slash financial plan to see if you qualify for that free financial consultation. All right, it's the hidden facts of finance, random financial facts that may surprise you or even shock you. Bob, construction starts on new single family housing will finally top 1 million this year after averaging fewer than 750,000 annually in the previous 10 years. That would still be below the 1.6 million annual housing starts from 2004 to 2006 during the peak of the housing bubble. You know, I'll take that 1 million starts over that 1.6 million any day of the week. Because now, unlike 2006, you actually have to put money down. You have to put down 20% of the purchase price. And in terms of new construction, you have to put 30% down. That's real money. So you have significant buyers that are in making investments, not speculation. So that 1 million is a lot stronger than we had in that speculative era. And it's not a bubble. Guys, I just have one question for you. How is it when you buy a new house, the old furniture doesn't fit and doesn't work? Is it just our household where when you have a new home, you have to have all new furnishings? Hey, you married mom. So that was your choice. But look at the bright side. Mom's probably got you a discount. I will say one thing about the housing bubble, though. I do miss those no-doc loans where you could just literally put on a piece of paper what people said they made, and that was good enough. Hence, we had the housing bubble burst. All right, Chris, the spectacular rally in industrial commodity prices appears to be fizzling out. Iron ore, the poster child of this phenomenon, was up 99.5% from January of this year, or last year, rather, to June 21 of this year. However, it has since collapsed and is now down 13.7% below where it was at the beginning of last year. Well, I think this is really reflective of where inflation is going. You know, I don't think Jay Powell was completely wrong when he said that inflation is transitory. It's just that, you know, now we're, it's really spiked up and now we're starting to see it spiral down a little bit and things always revert to the means. That's right. We will see a cooling of the inflation numbers, even though we're going to the peak right now. So that's good to know. Good to think about. Bob, are COVID vaccination rates higher in the US or Brazil? A little trivia. It's really surprising, Ryan. When I saw this number, I would have thought US, but it turns out it's Brazil. And that, it just reminds us that this COVID virus is a global phenomenon. It's not a US phenomenon. You know, we know it started over in China, it spread around the world. And we're not even close to leading in vaccinations. Brazil's up there. We're like middle of the pack when you look at the rest of the world. Yeah, it's kind of remarkable. And the other interesting fact I found was, you know, Germany keeps going into lockdown and you're thinking, well, the Germans, don't they always follow rules? Aren't they all vaccinated? They actually have some of the worst vaccination rates in the world. You would have thought, you know, Germans would have followed orders. I don't get it. All right, next one. (laughs) Last Tuesday marked the 80th anniversary of the attack on Pearl Harbor, setting in motion America's military industrial complex. Between 1941 and 1945, the U.S. produced 300,000 military aircraft, compared with Germany's 100,000. America industry also churned out 10 battleships, 211 submarines, 88,000 tanks, 
and 12.5 million rifles and the first atomic bomb putting an end to the Second World War. Well, the Japanese Admiral Yamoto was quoted as saying, I think we may have woken a sleeping giant. And I think those numbers just go to show you, don't ever underestimate America's ability to produce. Yeah, I'll tell you what, those numbers remind me of, guys, as your grandfather, member of the greatest generation, saved the world. Yeah. All right, another great show. If you like our content, love our content, please subscribe. Give us that five-star rating on iTunes and give us some comments. Let us know what you want us to talk about. As always, stay loose and keep an open mind. Thanks for listening to The Pain Points of Wealth. Hopefully, you found the ideas discussed in this episode valuable and useful for your own financial journey. You can find out more about Bob, Brian, and Chris's firm, Payne Capital Management, at BeBullish.com or through the contact information found in the description of this episode in your podcast player or app. Join us next week for another episode of The Pain Points of Wealth, brought to you by Payne Capital Management. Information provided on today's show is provided for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed.